Man, we are so doggone excited that you're in church today. We're going to get started right away. So you raise hand. We'll get you some notes right now so that we can continue in our series, 40 Days of Compassion. And I've got to open with one of the most ridiculously embarrassing stories that is 100% true about a decision I made. You're literally not going to believe it when I tell you. I'm so sorry to admit it publicly, but this is 100% true. So I had, like six years ago, the church sent me over to Papua New Guinea um, to work with some missionaries, and it was amazing. It was the most national geographic thing I've ever done in my life. I was in a deep, dark jungle for a number of days, and I had hunted and eaten crocodile. Uh, I had participated um, in this super cool, like, linguistic translation thing. It was amazing. And I kind of got like the alpha male blood pumping through my veins a little bit. Like as much as an office employee can feel like a big dog, I was feeling like a big dog coming out of that. Well, to get there was five different airplane flights. And coming back was five different airplane flights. And I would, was finished. At that point, I was finished with nine of the ten total flights that I needed to get there and back. And the last leg of my journey, this is going to sound a little bad. I'm sorry about this. It's true. It's going to sound decadent. It's not. Travel to the ends of the earth is very hard still, even with planes. I just need to explain that my last leg was from Fiji to LAX, okay? And I had a 22-hour layover in Fiji. Sorry about that. It was pretty cool. So we get there at like 10 at night, and then our flight doesn't leave until 8 the next night. And so Mike Day and I grabbed a hotel room, and we're going to sleep there, hang out there until it was time to go back to the airport, and, and then catch our last flight home. I know you should do cooler things when you're in Fiji, but I was dead tired and didn't have really a ton of money to go do something fun while I was on work time. So we were just going to hang out. No joke. 7.30 a.m., they came to our door, and I don't even remember a Fijian accent, plus I'd butcher it, so I'm not going to do it, but they asked us if we were ready to check out, and I was like, no, I'm not, and they're like, oh, well, you need to be out of the room by 8, and I was like, 8 in the morning? Like, oh, so we like got together our stuff, had all our luggage, and they were very polite as they welcomed us out to the curb at 8 a.m., So now I had 12 hours, all my luggage, and nothing to do and nowhere to be. And so Mike and I are literally walking down the streets of Fiji. I know it sounds cool. It's a little bit less than cool when you're dead tired and you have no idea where you are or where you're going. And I saw a flyer um, for this uh, little company that they had a boat. You rent a space on their boat. They boat you out to the middle of the ocean, and then you spend the day on an island snorkeling. And I was like, Jesus has provided. Like, this this is where I need to be. Because I'm an outdoor adventurer, and so Mike and I bought a spot on this boat. We went out to this island. The island was about the size of this building. Not this room. This is a little smaller, but the size of the building out in the middle of nowhere ocean. And man, I felt like, I felt like a fisherman slash adventurer slash Jacques Cousteau, and we're on this little island, and they had some lunch food that they were going to put out later, but then you just spent the day out in the reef that surrounded the island. About 250 yards out from the shore of the island, there was a reef, and then there was a drop-off to the deep, dark ocean. And I remember snorkeling out to the edge and going, oh no, that's where people die. Like... I'm fine floating right here, but floating right there, nope. 
And so with all my bravery, I stayed away from that. And I go in for lunch, and there's this couple from Australia, and they're so pumped. They're amped that they'd seen something really cool. I saw a bunch of little fish, like about this big, which was fine, but it wasn't like the crocodile hunting I was accustomed to in life. And they said, not making this up, they said they'd seen a shark out that direction. And I was like, oh, shoot. I like to add shark to my list. Like, I haven't seen or caught one of those yet. So, this is embarrassing. I snuck some meat from the lunch. And I thought to myself, I'm going to swim out to where the shark was, drop it down and swim back so that like when they come to eat the meat, I'm going to watch. So now I like absconded with the meat. It sounds better than stealing if you say abscond. I absconded with the meat and I'm holding it in my hand and I'm swimming out to the spot where the shark was and 150 yards out, the Lord spoke so clearly. And he's like, Tim, you smell like bait. And I was like, oh, I do smell like bait. (laughs) And so then I got nervous and I dropped the food right then and there. I'm like, phew, that was close. Oh, I still smell like it, I bet you. So then I start rubbing off. I'm like, oh, it's everywhere now. And I turned around and Michael Phelps himself could not have caught me on the swim back to shore. Like hydroplaning. I was skipping across the water. It's like, why in the world did I think that was a good idea? And we're going to have church today and talk about compassion. And we're going to walk back out to the world around us. And at every turn where there's conflict, people are running to the situations nowadays with bait in their hand, trying to suck someone in so that they can hop on them and criticize them. It's like we're trying to make our way through a time of division, conflict, anger, angst, worry, by baiting ourselves into arguments so that we can validate ourselves at every turn. And as believers, I sure hope that we're a generation that God speaks clearly to us and says, what's in your hand right now? What are you running out of church and offering to the world around you? Because you've got options. We can hop onto Facebook today, just going on to check for pictures of puppies and lunches. That's all we're going to do. And all of a sudden we're going to see something. And it's going to pull us in to either conflict or compassion. It just will. And we have grown addicted to the conflict. And we're going to read four stories that pull, that woo, that speak to us to choose a different approach in the culture we live in. And so if you don't mind, I'd like you to write down two things that are going to govern how we read these four stories. The first is this. It is so much easier to be against someone than for them. It just is. And so in my own family, I consider my favorite person in the world. Her name is Wendy. I like her better than all of you. But man, sometimes she thinks things or does things that I wouldn't think or I wouldn't do. And it is so much easier for me to be against those actions or ideas than to find out a way to get on board for them. My kids, guys, I'm not kidding. My kids are amazing. They're crazy, just like yours. They're amazing kids. But they do things at every turn that drive me nuts. Like I, I can't even hardly like understand how they're still functioning as humans with the decisions they're making. And it's easier for me to be against them than for them. And then now we think about the people in our oikos. 
your grown sister who repeatedly makes decisions that you just don't understand. Your mom and dad that have kind of drifted in their attachment to you and the rest of the family. Maybe it's a co-worker, it's a coach, it's a teacher. I don't know who it is. And it is so much easier to be against them than for them. And they're the people you know. God help the people on your Facebook feed that either want to take a knee or take a stand because them, you're coming both barrels blasting. Write this down. It is so much easier to find fault than need. It just is. And so four stories Matthew tells us about the person of Jesus and what he does in situations is just different than the way we handle things. We're going to write down four things that lost people are. According to these stories and according to a passage from the book of Revelation, lost people, us even, we can fall into a certain state. And so I want you to write this down and let's start reading scripture. Lost people are dead. They just are. And it's not a statement of superiority. I am not better than anybody who does not have faith in Christ. I have been given something better from God through his son. So let's read Matthew chapter 9. While Jesus was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she'll live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away, the girl isn't dead, but she's asleep. Well, they laughed at him. Because compassion in an impossible situation is laughable if you don't understand what it can achieve. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. And news of this spread throughout all that region. Okay, it's a Bible story, right? And it went just the way you would expect. Someone had a humongous need. They had a dead child, and they called for Jesus. Jesus shows up. And he raises her from the dead. And we're so used to that story that this isn't this isn't impressive to us. It's like, well, yeah, Tim, okay, like that's a that's a Jesusy thing. How is this though going to impact the world that we live in? How is this pulling us towards compassion? Well, let me explain it through a different lens. Okay, so for a long time, when I came to faith as a high school student, I did a lot of like weekend mission trips, a lot of service trips. Um, My church helped kids of families who were in prison. My church helped um, neighborhoods across the border in Mexico, in both Tijuana and Mexicali. And so for uh, the first two formative years of my faith, I learned that you serve the less fortunate. Then in college, I was part of a number of different missions efforts that went and served at orphanages or or different um, rescue missions down in Mexico or in downtown San Diego. And I learned that people of faith serve the less fortunate. Then I get to, um, to be a youth pastor and I'm taking our kids, our students on different trips to serve people that needed to be served to teach us to be compassionate. Now, I might sneeze and I might click off just to warn you. Nope, I've fought it off because I'm a strong crocodile hunter. <laughs> like six or seven, maybe seven years ago, 
uh, I was in San Francisco in the homeless um, neighborhood up there called the Tenderloin. Um, if you've ever seen The Pursuit of Happiness with, where, where uh, Will Smith is a homeless fellow that works his way out, it, uh, parts of that were filmed in the neighborhood we lived in. And our kids did different compassion events. We would help a rescue mission, pack up food. Uh, we prepared a luncheon to invite people to. We would go out into local businesses and try and extend grace and compassion. And by that point, guys, I had been in a lot of places in this world with a lot of extreme poverty. And I I learned that I shake someone's hand, I look them in the eye, and I tell them that they're loved, that they have value, that Jesus loves them as well. That's just a a, a discipline I've grown. Well, in this neighborhood, there was an individual, I'll never forget them, they had jeans that were not the right size, they were too small, and they were held on by shoestrings around their waist. Um, Didn't really matter because uh, the individual was never off of his knees. He wore flip-flops and like this weird jacket hoodie thing. And every single day I was in San Francisco that year, I saw this individual crawling along the sidewalk. And every time there was a gap in the concrete, he would take a coat hanger that he had unfolded, he would scrape through the gap, and he would lick his fingers and lick the crack crumbs, crack, cocaine, off the end of the coat hanger. And I had never seen anything like that. I have been in slums in Brazil. I've been in slums in Africa. I've been in some of the poorest parts of our own country in Mexico. And I, I couldn't fathom what I was watching. Like, I love people. And the division in our culture just shreds me every day. But I've never seen anything like this. I'm so sorry to say it out loud. But they didn't look like a human to me. They looked like something else. And I, I never invited that person to one of our lunches or to one of our evening programs or anything because I was so blown away at how far gone they were. Do you understand that this story didn't need to happen this way? Jesus could have said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And that would have been an all right, okay, upright thing to do. But he walks into the situation and he does something that you and I cannot do. Well, why is it in the scriptures then? Why is it there? Well, is it possible that there are people in your life that you've written off? And that there is not an extension of compassion on your part to them because it's never going to make a difference. Tim, they're too far gone. They hate God so much or they're so angry or they're so divisive or they're so jaded or they're so whatever. You've got an adjective that you use on why you do not extend compassion to them. Because it's easier to find fault, right? Well, Tim, they've dug their own grave. Like they're, they've made their own bed. Like you can use whatever metaphor you want. And it's so easy for us to excuse or to justify or understand. Let's even use a really healthy, safe word. I understand why I don't extend grace or compassion to some people. And there are stories like this in Scripture where Matthew remembers what Jesus was willing to do and really it's a contrast with our own lives and our own willingness to respond. And so this story kicks off three others that we're going to move through quickly And we're going to try and land somewhere in the middle of the series on compassion. But way more importantly than the middle of this series, in the middle of this generation. And how the world around us is acting. They need this today. So I want you to write this down. Lost people are drained of hope. Man, how in the world do you describe this story? I mean, it's church and it's mixed company and like... 
well, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Let's read this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 through 22. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Okay, it's straightforward, but guys, let's all get ourselves on the same page what's happening. What was happening in this woman's life had made her unclean, according to Levitical code. There was no OBGYN that could help her. No one had any idea why her bleeding hadn't stopped for 12 years. And I'm willing to guess that after 12 years, a lot of people had given up on her. And because she was unclean, she was isolated from all sorts of situations and all sorts of people. And at this point, she's a lost cause. She just is. Like, I don't know another way to describe her situation other than, gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do. Twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And so Jesus turned around and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And at the moment, was healed at that moment. Now, we have the benefit of four Gospels, and so there's extra light on certain stories. This story is fascinating because Jesus gets called by the synagogue leader to go to the house to visit the dead girl. And the way Matthew chooses to tell the story is Jesus is on his way. So it's like he's walking, I don't know, like, ooh, let's all go to Victoria Gardens, okay? We're down to Victoria Gardens. We're up by the movie theater and someone says, hey, Jesus, down by the front parking lot in Macy's, my kid just got hit by a car. Can you come? And he's like, yeah. So he starts to move through the mall, except like it's a big deal in this town that Jesus is even there. And so people are like watching and they're creeping on him, okay? They're Facebook stalking him. They're walking with him as he moves. And so if Justin Timberlake were signing autographs down at the mall of the new Trolls movie DVD, a Blu-ray, digital copy, whatever, um, it'd be hard to sign the digital copy, wouldn't it? Okay. As he's moving through the mall, people would be like filming the whole way, right? And snapping that and like Instagram storying. Like they'd be doing that. They're walking with Jesus and he's being bumped. The way the Bible tells the story is that Jesus calls people's attention after she touched his cloak. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Someone just touched me. And the disciples are like, everybody just touched you. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, it was different. There was faith in it. There was humility in this. It was different than looky-loos. And he stops and he calls everyone's attention to her. And I'm telling you right now, her stomach shrunk up so small. Because she'd been criticized so regularly. So distant from so many people. And she tried to be so low-key in how she expressed her need. And now Jesus calls attention to her. And so rather than allowing the disciples to respond, he calls their attention to her. And then he steps in and assigns some value to her. Now, if the disciples had been able to speak, I'll tell you what they would have said. Woman, why in the world are you touching the rabbi? Why are you touching the teacher, our leader? He is so clean before God. And you, you're not. So you've got to stay away. But he steps in and he says, your faith 
has healed you. He affirms her. He assigns honor to her. It's like he's clarifying the situation because he knows that they would have found fault with her. And he says, no, 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 hold on. This is an expression of humility and faith that was now met by the compassion of God. So I need you to see the transaction that actually happened. Because the way you guys see the world is always so critical and so divisive, so self-protective that you don't understand what actually happened here. And we're going to get towards that in a minute as we read from Revelation chapter 3 that it is just easier for us to find fault than to see a need. It just is. I could tell you all the reasons why it's screwed up out there. Well, Tim, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do about it. And so this woman that had been drained of hope that something in her life could ever be different was now met with hope through an act of compassion. But Matthew keeps going on. Here's the fun thing about Matthew chapter 9. You know when your kids get home from camp and they're like Christian kids strung out, like they've been living on red vines and Pepsi for five days. They're deep, deeply dehydrated. They haven't slept since you dropped them off. They're covered in a patina of dirt and sweat. And they get in your car and they're wiped. And you're like, man, I, I don't know that the church did a good job keeping you alive. And, they, and you get home and you expect them to just gone just past but they can't stop talking and they're like laying there like this and they're just talking 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 about the crazy game that happened and oh my gosh we stayed up one night that there was no night it was just morning and then then this one night in chapel oh my gosh and we all cried and and they're just talking because what they had happened at camp they just needed to tell you matthew just keeps rolling you got to write this down and we got to keep reading lost people are blind to truth They're blind to truth. Chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? He stops and focuses on their faith. Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. And they're like, what? Man, Jesus, when I'm able to play catch this afternoon, they're going to figure it out. Like, when I start stopping at stop signs, they're going to figure it out. Like, what do you mean? And so they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Do you see? Gosh, there are so many Bible things happening right now. So first of all, Matthew is in a succession of similar stories where Jesus is meeting needs that are impossible to meet. And so absolutely, it is about the elevation of the person, the work of Jesus. But he's also explaining that Jesus is absolutely interested on an individual basis with people who are like gone. Like they're gone too far. And you just can't help a blind person. Like you just, what can I do? I don't know. There's nothing. I can't fix that. What do you do with the woman who is bleeding? I don't know. I can't fix that. What do you do with someone who's lost a loved one? I don't know. I can't fix that. And Jesus is also, Matthew is also honoring faith, isn't he? Have you noticed that in these three stories? How he's honoring the faith and the humility of individuals as they express a need? And then did you also notice that at every turn, something really neat happens for the reputation of Jesus? And this is a big deal. 
Because as I interact with needs around me, I feel paralyzed a lot of the time. I do. Not theoretical, like uh, Tim is using a teaching metaphor. No, I do. So a few weeks ago, Hurricane Harvey hit, and we, we banned it up. And I'm our missions pastor, so I'm trying to figure out what can we do to help that. So we took an offering, and I'm researching organizations that we can partner with and take the ten dollars to $15,000 that we gave to go help. And while I'm reading about that, making phone calls, making emails, Irma hits Florida. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know that we're going to be able to do Texas and Florida. And on the heels of that, now Puerto Rico. And it's like, gosh, God, I don't even know, like, huh. And it wants to pull me into, like, never mind, I can't help. And here's the cool thing about these stories. They're about the glory of Jesus. And so as we, as Christians, wrestle through, then where do I extend compassion? Because I have limits. Where do I extend it? This is going to weigh on your walk with God. It just will. Because there are going to be situations that God is going to call you to that he will not call the entire church to. So if you want to make an impact on Florida, go do it. If you have a connection to Puerto Rico, go do it. But at some point, it's about God leading your life. And here's the cool thing about that. As God leads your life, he's going to call you to do something that's going to honor him. Because it's going to be beyond what you can pull off. It just will. Your compassion is the example, it's the extension, it's the illustration of Christ to the world around you. And so, I mean, if I could be so frank, I'm never going to solve a thing in this world. I can help. But man, if I can demonstrate through obedient faith, if I can demonstrate Christ in a situation, then all of a sudden the situation can be different. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus is speaking to Christians. And he says, you say I'm rich... And I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. God, I've got this. Why don't you stay away, and I'm going to live my life. But you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can be rich. I counsel you to buy from me clothes to wear so you can cover your shame. I counsel you to get salve from me to put on your eyes so you can see. Revelation chapter 3 speaks back into needs. Nakedness, blindness, poverty. And it says those are opportunities for me to be at work in you. And so those opportunities of weakness or of need are opportunities for me to be at work in you so that you can believe these big things about who I am. The fact that I actually do animate your heart and your mind. That I make you come alive in a spiritual sense. And so as we have need and we go to him. And as we see need. Now all of a sudden that's working. And it's not just philanthropy. It's spirituality. It is Christ honoring. And that is how in this generation we can tell God. Put it on us. Faith will not die with our generation as the world consumes itself. But Jesus, you will extend your reputation, your fame, your work through our obedient compassion. That is the really great news. And so in this story, the blind men, they can't see. They just, they've got one thing, they've got Jesus. And can I just suggest this? That in two weeks, we're going to have a baptism class. And it's the most churchy thing. When we always have slides and we always do baptism and you haven't been baptized yet. And you've got your reasons why. 
And you're like, man, I don't know. I get so nervous. I just, I don't like the singing and the lights and the, I like it so much, but there's no way I'm going to get up there. And you are robbing your world of the act of faith that they need to see. Because through your baptism, you are explaining the work of Jesus. You're honoring the person of Jesus and they trust you more than they trust me. They don't know me at all. And I haven't earned a thing with them, but you have. And so when you attend our baptism class in two weeks and then you get baptized the week before Christmas, your world is here and all they see is Jesus honored. And he is able to meet needs that you can't. And you're like, ah, I cannot do it. I'm so nervous. Man, we all get nervous. I am backstage during the first song every time going, Jesus, thank you for church. Thank you for my church. I love you. I love this. Second song comes out and I start to get nervous and I get diarrhea because like, oh my gosh, I've got to go out there in like seven minutes and I forgot what to say. I don't know what to say. They're all going to stare at me and I don't know. They're going to get mad that I said this and that I didn't say that. And oh my gosh, Jesus, you got to find me a new job because I'm going to quit right now. (laughs) Every single time. And so I know maybe you're more nervous than me. Could be true. But your act of obedience honors Jesus And it illustrates, it demonstrates what people need to see. Our lives can make an impact when they're lived for the glory of him. But one more story, write this down. Lost people are bound by sin. Lost people are dead, they're drained, they're blind, they're bound. Chapter 9, he's still sitting on the couch talking about camp. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it's by the prince of demon that he drives out demons. Do you see how our series of stories ends? The same way we're going to walk out today. We're extending compassion. We're trying to be obedient God, I'm trying to see you more than the need because I can't meet the need. And so when I can't meet the need, I'm going to criticize. I'm going to find fault. I'm going to distance myself. No, hold on. This is about you. And if I can see you through these situations, then maybe it'll elevate my heart and my response. Maybe it will grow my faith in who you are and what you've made me to be. (laughs) And he's doing all these things and then the Pharisees say, the only reason you can kick out demons is because you got demons too. That's the only reason this even happened. Man, the criticism continues to roll in. Like that fault finding is still going to exist. And so, we've got, we've, got, we've got a lot on our shoulders as a generation of Christians. We do. There has never been a time in American church culture where the culture has been more against us. Okay, we're going to be criticized. Oh, just like Jesus was? Okay. We're going to be begged to find fault with people. Okay. Are we going to respond well? I was coming back from Lebanon where the church sent me over to extend some support for work we're doing with refugees because of one of the largest civil wars in recent world history. 
And I'm, um, I'm on a layover again, like four hours in downtown London um, with a buddy here from church. And uh, we had just come from an art auction house. And my brother-in-law is an art professor. And I'm like, oh man, you're going to be so proud of me. I'm grabbing flyers for Monet and Degas and other art people. And, and I was like going to show my brother-in-law, like, dude, I went and I saw art. I didn't get any of it, but I saw it. I was there. And so um, I've got my flyers and we walk outside and it's evening and it's raining because London and uh, in, we, the corner was gorgeous. These buildings, the lights, like the London taxis, it was just so cool. And Eric said, hey, Tim, Tim, take my picture. And I'm like, okay, hold on. And I took all my flyers that I wanted from my brother-in-law. I went over to this flower stand. It was this cart with a little roof and then some flowers in there. And I set it down right by the leg of the stand so it was under the, the covering and, um, and I go out to take Eric's picture. And as soon as I take his picture, um, the florist had come around, had picked up my flowers and had thrown them out in the street into the rain. And I'm pretty sure he cursed at me using fancy British cuss words. Not entirely sure. And I was like, man, I don't, uh, what? <laughs> and so I'm picking up my flyers out of the curb and I turned around and I said something to the effect of like, I, I'm so sorry. What just happened? And that set him off. Like, off. And so now he squares up and he's like like walking chest to chest and he's yelling more British things at me. And I'm like, first of all, bud, you sound adorable right now. Like, <laughs> that accent is so welcoming. And, and, he's, and, and as he's yelling at me, I'm like, am I in a fight with a British florist? <laughs> like, what just happened? And he's done, he's yelling, and like, I'm getting a little heated. Like, the heart rate starts to increase, right? And I'm thinking to myself, no, Tim, you know what the right response is. You de-escalate and you walk away. Like, you teach your sons this. There's no need to throw down. Like, even though you probably couldn't be arrested because you're an American and this is like foreign soil, like, you can just get away with... I know why you can't. I know, I know. <laughs> like, there's no need. And so I, I said something in the effect of like, man, I don't know what's going on, but, but I just need to walk away. <laughs> and then he pats me on the shoulder, all condescending and says, have a good day, mate. And I'm like, oh, you touched me. <laughs> like, like for real, like I was doing so good. <laughs> and, and I wanted, I wanted to, first of all, you got to understand he's like five foot two and I, I weigh half a stone more than him, okay? So, so I'm looking at him and I, I, I'm so sorry, gentlemen, you know, I sized him up a long time ago. That had already happened, okay? Which probably helped me like de-escalate already. Like, this isn't even fair. Like, I would destroy you. I'm a crocodile hunter. That's what <laughs> but man, when he patted me on the shoulder... It just took it to like a whole new number. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I wanted to say, listen, son, when you are in an unfounded conflict where you had an asymmetrical response to a seemingly innocuous action that initiated the whole thing, you don't make physical contact with someone begging them into conflict, especially in a contest in which you would obviously not become the winner with the undesired outcome of you getting a booty kicking from a pastor. Like that is not what you want. 
I said none of those things because I know as a gentleman, I know I shouldn't have said booty. I'm sorry. As an individual, I know that that response, I know exactly what it is. I'm a grown man and I know that I would be swimming to the situation with bait in my hand. I know it. And so for as much as he kept inviting me and inviting me in, and for whatever reason felt the need to ruin my flyers that were for my art professor brother-in-law, I decided I would turn around, grab my flyers. I'm like, this is getting bad. I'm in a fight with a florist. And I walked away. And Eric said, Tim, what happened? And I am like shook. And I'm like, I think I was in a fight with a flower guy. Like, I don't know. I'm awfully glad that I don't have to tell you that that story ended any other way. Because you would expect more from me, don't you? You should. I don't care if I'm poked or tripped or prodded. It does not matter. I'm a grown man and I'm able to respond in a good way. And we are the children of Jesus. And when we walk out the doors, you're going to hop on Facebook today. And they're going to beg you. They're going to bait you into conflict. We can respond with compassion. And it's going to be hard on us. And it's going to call us to focus more on his fame, his ability, and his glory than our ability to meet the need. And that's all right. Because we're going to be spiritual people. And we're going to honor Jesus this entire generation. Amen? Father, we pray that you would fit us for a spiritual life. God, I would always love to demonstrate in situations of conflict that I'm stronger And that I'm right. But Jesus, I pray that I'd honor you. That I'd be humble and I'd be faithful. And it would result in our town. Nothing like this has ever been heard of in Victorville. That in a season of division and conflict, that we make peace. That we extend grace. And that we're a people of compassion. Jesus, raise us up to be and to do just that. We love you a ton. And so we pray that you'd fit us to make you famous. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said.